Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Ed Powers, the Vice President of Customer Success for IntelliSecure, is joining us on the show today. He's a frequent speaker on the topic of neuroscience and customer success. So we're going to be talking about how people make the renewal decision and the ways that CSMs can better engage their clients. Ed, thanks for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Great to be with you. Hey, before we get started on our topic today, I want to hear more about your background. You've been in customer success for a long time, and you were a consultant in this space as well. What was your path into customer success? I started out in tech. I have a double E degree and spent uh, 12 years at HP in sales and in marketing and also in quality. And I left the company in 1999 and wound up co-founding my first company, which was a software firm. And uh, as fate would have it, I went on to run operations at three different startups in the luxury hospitality industry, and that totally changed my thinking about the customer experience. Uh, In luxury hospitality, uh, CX is everything. You have to do that right when you're out of business, so it's it's really critical. And um, in 2008, as we all know, the the crash of the, uh, the economy really decimated the industry that I was in, so I went back to tech after that. And I saw that I could apply many of the same lessons from uh, luxury hospitality into technology. And so for about the last six years, I've been consulting with SaaS and also MSP clients here in Colorado. And I've also been in some uh, operations as well as um, some uh, customer success leadership roles as well. That's fantastic. So right now you're with a company called IntelliSecure and you've been there for about six months now. Can you tell us a little bit about the company, what you do, and how your customer success team there is structured? Absolutely. Well, IntelliSecure is an IT managed security provider, and what we do is we help companies protect their critical data assets, and that's things like IP and customer data, uh, company strategies, things like that. And most security companies focus on protecting the perimeter while we work on uh, the insider threat. So uh, you don't hear much about that kind of a, of a data threat, but they're, they're actually much more frequent incidents and uh, those kinds of attacks can do a lot more damage than outside hackers. So um, just like you, know, you see in a, in a regular SaaS company, I do much of the same uh, activity. I work in customer success here to reduce churn and increase install base revenue. And, uh, but, but here I'm actually in a staff position. I work directly for the CEO and I work cross-functionally. I actually don't have a, a team reporting to me. 
So Ed, on today's podcast, we'll be talking about some of the brain science behind how people make decisions to renew subscriptions. And most of us don't really think about how people make the decision. We're mostly focused on influencing the decision itself as a CS person or a CS team. Why do you think it's important that CSMs pay attention to what's going on in the mind of the customer? Well, in customer success, we talk a lot about desired outcomes. We talk about scaling and metrics and technology and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's all about decisions. Uh, does a customer decide to renew or do they cancel? Do they choose to buy more? Are they going to buy less, or buy the same amount? So ultimately, it's, it's really up to them. It's not up to us what's decided. So if we want to influence the customer's decision, we must first understand how they go about making those decisions. So how does the brain do this? What's the process? Uh, what are the factors that lead up to decisions? And is it predictable, right? So if, if we understand how that works, then we can do a better job of influencing the outcomes that we want. Got it. Um, when you and I first started talking about the topic, you mentioned that people function both logically and intuitively. How do those two sides work together when someone's making a renewal decision? Well, behavioral economists say that we have two mental systems, system one and system two. Okay. System one is our automatic, it's our intuitive system, it's emotional. It's really, really fast um, and it can do a lot of things at once, but it can only work with simple rules. It's very primitive. Okay. System two, on the other hand, is our conscious, logical, rational system. And we know this one the best. We're most familiar with it because that's where our language comes from. It's uh, a lot more sophisticated. It deals with complexity and nuance much better, but it's way slower and it takes more effort. It gets much more overwhelmed. So um, okay. neuroscientists have, have found that both systems are actually engaged in decision-making. Um, in fact, if, if certain parts of our, of our emotional system are damaged, if we have brain damage, then we make really, really bad decisions. And in the case of um, really extreme uh, brain damage, we become physically unable to make any decisions at all. So our emotional system is directly tied to how we make decisions. If we separate those two out, we can't make those decisions. So. Um, Scientists also say that we make decisions for emotional reasons, and then we use logic to justify those decisions, whether we're aware of it or not. So, I think we've all done that. Absolutely, <laughs> I know I have done that. Absolutely. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, you know how people feel about something carries a lot more weight than how people think about it. And um, so, when we think about customer success, you know, a lot of times people will, uh, when it's time for a renewal, for example. Uh, people will make a rational argument. They'll talk about ROI, they'll talk about business value, they'll talk about cost savings or productivity or things like that. But the fact is the customer's decision is really based on their personal rewards and how they feel about their experience with you. It's not about the logical side of it. So an ROI discussion, really all it does is help them to justify a decision that they've already made. Interesting. Because we do focus a lot on return on investment. So um, I think it'll be great as we go later into the interview. I think you and I are going to be talking about some practical applications of some of this stuff. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing how you see that panning out in, in kind of the day-to-day -day of a CSM. 
Um, you mentioned that confirmation bias is another factor that can play into how people engage with vendors. How does that work in a customer success setting? Yeah, and confirmation bias is is really interesting. And you know, in our political discourse these days, it's it's all over the place. So. For those that that don't know what that is, confirmation bias is a phenomenon where we tend to notice information that supports our beliefs, and then we ignore information that contradicts those beliefs, right? So, and we are all guilty of this, every every one of us. In fact, we're hardwired to make those kinds of of errors. Um, Once we make up our minds about something, whatever we believe tends to stick, you know, often regardless of what the facts say. So, uh, so that's that's really what confirmation bias is, and it turns out that our beliefs are much more fungible and open to suggestion in the very beginning, um, especially when it comes to trust, whether you trust an individual or you trust a company. So when it comes to customer success, um, this really underscores the critical importance of a good onboarding process, right? So if you effectively deliver value and you establish trust from the very beginning then customers will stick with you no matter what uh, because of confirmation bias. So you can actually use that to your advantage. But if you fumble you know, your, your onboarding process, if you really screw that up, you may never recover, right? And, and churn downstream will be much higher at the end of the day. And this is something I saw all the time in luxury hospitality. If you nailed the customer's arrival, then everything after that was great. But if you screwed that up, then every little thing was a complaint for that for that customer. So what starts right stays right. First impressions mean everything. And um, it's because our beliefs are formed in the very beginning and we tend to stick with those. Yeah, I see that, you know, really come into play in a lot of customer journey development. Really, it's so important that the first 30, 60, 90 days of that relationship with the client from the moment they come on board be great or they start to have buyer's remorse almost immediately. And um, it's really tough to bring them back out of that. Exactly and right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you, we also discussed um, when we were talking about this episode, attachment and trust and how developing those in your customers leads to loyalty. Loyalty, I feel like, is such an overused phrase in our field, and it means different things depending on who you talk to. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say loyalty and the neuroscience behind loyalty? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's a really interesting experiment that neuroscientists did that really captured the the neural signature of a loyal customer. And what they did is they they worked with a, a company in uh, the UK and they took a customer list from a department store and they broke this customer list down into two groups of people. They had the one group, which was the high loyalty group, and they shopped at the store all the time. They bought a lot of, uh, of things there at that, at that favorite store. And then they had this other group, which was the disloyal group who were on the database, but they they rarely shopped at that particular store. So what they did is they did a blind study. They had these folks show up and they put put them in these uh, MRI chambers and they tasked them with uh, shopping at uh, various department stores uh, for clothing. So they went uh, kind of online and they started shopping for clothes. And while they were doing this, they would put the logos of various department stores up and it turns out that for those uh, for those loyal customers, when they saw that particular brand, the one that they were really loyal to, a very specific yeah. part of their brain uh, lit up 
whereas that same part of the brain was quiet for the people who were disloyal. And that very particular part of the brain is called the striatum. And it's the part of the brain that encodes expectations for future rewards. It's part of our motivation system and it activates any time that we want something. So if you say, hey, I want this, there's a part of the brain that lights up quite a bit. And uh, it's also part of the brain where all final goal-directed decisions are made. So this is the anchor of, of a part of the brain that, that is the final judge on all decisions that we make. And in this case, it's, it's a loyalty decision, right? So, so they actually identified you know, and associated this particular part of the brain is active for loyal customers, and they've seen that signature. So their question when you think about customer success is, is where does wanting come from, right? How do, how do we make customers want to do business with us? How do we make them want to be loyal to us? And it turns out that wanting is, mm -hmm. is a learned response. Uh, it comes through experience. And what happens is over time, our brains associate actions and outcomes. And uh, over time, we learn what's good for us. And what's good for us is something that we want to do again and again. So in customer success, once again, if you deliver re rewards throughout the customer's journey, you basically train your customers to want you, which in turn makes them loyal to you. So, so that's really how all these mechanisms work. And all things being equal, people will always choose the brand that they want. And um, you know, it's, it's also important to note that there's a very important caveat here. If, if, uh, if it's not the case, if all things aren't equal, right? If your product is not competitive or costs way too much or it's bad quality, it's unreliable, things like that, it's just a matter of time before they switch to someone else. But if all things are about the same, they're gonna go with their preference. So um, in terms of customer success, for me, that's really what customer success is all about, is creating that preference, right? If 70% of loyalty is really tied to the product or its quality, uh, what customer success does is sway that 10 to 20% that keeps that customer loyal. And that's really what the mission is for customer success when you think about it from uh, you know, a neuroeconomics uh, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really easy for us to understand that from a consumer standpoint. Um, most of us have brands that we clearly prefer in our consumer lives. I think it's a little tougher to think about how you create that, you know, in a more B2B environment or as a CSM. So we're going to get into that in the next part of the interview. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables, like business models and annual plans, that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. 
Quick reports can be easily developed through the Analytics tab, and tasks can be tracked on the Task Manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple to use, yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. So Ed, let's talk about some practical ways to apply the science we've been discussing up until this point. One piece of advice you gave when we were talking about this episode was to never say no to a customer. I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. I think most CSMs feel that there are some times where they have to say no. Um, how do you approach situations where you kind of need to say no, but you want to do so in an effective kind of a way? What do you recommend? Yeah, and it's absolutely fine to, to, to tell a customer no. You just don't want to use the word no. Got it. <laughs> and um, what you want to do is you want to use a highly qualified yes. And let me talk a little bit about okay. that. Neuroscientists have found that, that our brains will actually activate different circuits when we hear the word yes and when we hear the word no. When we hear yes, it turns out we remain comfortable, we remain open-minded, we're open to new ideas. But when we hear the word no, subconsciously we shut down and we actually activate our fight or flight mechanism. We prepare for, for uh, punishment. We prepare to uh, protect ourselves. Okay. And the reason is actually pretty simple when you stop to think about it, because no is the first word that we learn as toddlers, right? Uh, you know, no, don't stick that in your mouth and don't, you know, don't put your finger in the light socket, things like that, right? So, so uh, whenever we hear that, we actually get conditioned. Anytime we hear the word no, we, we clam up and we expect a punishment. So um, knowing that that's the case, that that's how we're all wired, the trick is to say, uh, is not to say no, but to give the conditions under which you can say yes and then give the customer a choice. So let me give you an example. A customer wants you to change a feature, right? So they're, they're upset about how a particular feature works. And rather than uh, just say, hey, no, we can't do that, another way you may think about that is you could say, well, yes, we certainly can do that. Um, our professional services people can, can uh, talk to you about doing a custom project. And it's been my experience that projects like this typically take about six months, maybe they cost about $100,000. Uh, would you like me to get them on the line? So notice what I did here. I didn't tell them no, I just, I gave them the conditions under which I could say yes. Mm -hmm. So what are they gonna say? Well, they're either gonna say, well, no, that's, that's too expensive. Sorry, we'll go on to the next subject. Uh -huh. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, I'm willing to pay that much. And now all of a sudden that becomes a very interesting conversation, right? So, so with that, you know, they, they may be willing to spend that kind of money or maybe they'll negotiate it. But in, in any event, you kept that conversation going and now you can probe further and try to understand, well, why is this so important? Maybe that's something we need to go to our product team and say, you know, I got a customer over here that's willing to spend a lot of money for this. Maybe we need to think about this, right? So, so the, the trick is, is to say no uh, without actually having to use the word no. Yeah, I think one, one sort of practical tip for CSMs on that is, you know, if you know you're going to be going into a call where you're going to have to have a conversation where you're probably going to need to say some version of no without saying no, you need to come into that conversation prepared with some options to offer the customer, which means you have to do a little bit of homework ahead of the call. Um, and I, th I think that's really important. And, and often I see and hear CSMs kind of winging it 
on on calls and sort of calling and and being kind of prepared to talk about things like a feature request that can't get done and stuff like that without really having alternatives for the customer. It kind of goes back to, you know, like if you're trying to get your kids to eat vegetables, you don't give them the choice between vegetables or no vegetables. You give them the choice of peas or carrots. (laughs) And then you know it's going to be a choice that you can live with and also better for them because it's their choice. That's exactly right. That's good coaching. Yep. Um, so another way you suggested that people could leverage neuroscience to build loyalty is to have more face time with clients. Um, and I, I've heard you talk about this at events throughout the years. Why do you think FaceTime is so important and how would you suggest CSMs go about doing that? Yeah, well, it turns out we all judge a book by its cover. Uh, we, we're all very superficial um, when you really look at how we're wired. When we meet people for the first time, it turns out we make a snap judgment about their trustworthiness based upon their physical appearance. So uh, the neuroscientists have found that, um, that in less than 100 milliseconds, which is about three times faster than we can blink our eyes, when we see someone for the first time, we make an initial um, trust belief by uh, looking at their face, by looking specifically at their eyes and their mouth. And that tells us what their emotional state is. Are they happy? Are they angry? You know, are they here to do us good? Or are they here to do us harm? And, uh, you know, this all happens instantaneously and subconsciously, but we, we set a trust belief when we see people. And what they found is that when they show people a face, a smiling face, it actually will alter people's behaviors. Uh, in fact, depending upon the study, people become 15 to 20% more cooperative after they see a smiling face than if they don't. So, uh, so what does that mean? If you, if you, when you meet customers for the first time, if you can't get face-to-face, if you're not gonna fly out and sit down and meet them, then show your face in a web conference. You know, do a Zoom or a, you know, a, 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 any other web conferencing platform and show your face or put your face in your signature line or do whatever you can to show a smiling face because believe it or not, that alters their behavior. That makes them more cooperative. You know, I actually, since I heard you talk about that at a conference, um, have been subtly testing this with people who take my classes and people who um, are contacting me to purchase things from the Success League. And I've tried doing those conversations both with and without having a face-to-face in Zoom. And the results with face-to-face are significantly better, which is very fascinating to me. It's funny. It really works. It really does work. I'm glad you're running that experiment. That's terrific. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky because I have a lot of opportunities to test and, and to use my face or not use my face. And to be honest, not everybody feels super excited about being in front of a camera. I can absolutely say I don't always feel great about being in front of a camera, but it absolutely does work. And so I can attest to, to that one. That's <laughs> um, great. Do you have any other practical tips for CSMs who want to build relationships using some of the theories that you've shared with us today? Yeah, you know, one thing I was reminded about the other day has to do with the learning process, right? I mean, often people are surprised when they show a customer how to use a particular feature and they don't automatically start using it, right? So they, they wonder why that happens. And one thing is, it's a good reminder to everybody, is that learning requires reinforcement. Uh, all of our knowledge is actually stored in our synapses between all of our neurons. 
So it, there's actually chemical, there's a chemical um, connection between all of our synapses. And what happens is the more a neuron fires, the more that chemistry in the synapses changes. So the more, more something fires, the more likely it is to fire. And, um, and also the less likely, uh, if a neuron fires less often, then it's less likely to fire again. So what we're really doing is we're changing the chemistry in the synapses in our brain when we learn something. And that requires that neuron firing over and over and over again. So if, if we really want people to remember something or to build a skill or to build a habit, it's all about reinforcement, reinforcement, reinforcement. You gotta keep repeating it. So things like uh, gamifying something, uh, sending reminders, giving them the same information three different ways, maybe uh, in written form or in a webinar or you talk about them, you, know, you give them a video. The more you reinforce that, the more likely they are to actually remember it and then to start using it. But it's a fact that we always overlook. You know, you have to reinforce and reinforce. Yeah, and I love your comment about doing doing that in different ways. I think we tend to forget that people learn in different ways. Some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. Different people learn differently. And so in addition to reinforcing, you're also um, acknowledging that different people are going to resonate with different kinds of content. And I think that that's uh, important as well. So I appreciate you bringing that up. If someone wanted to dig deeper into the science behind relationships and loyalty, what are some books and resources that you'd recommend? Sure. Well, what interests me the most is an area called neuroeconomics, which is the combination of neuroscience and behavioral economics. Um, unfortunately, there aren't there aren't any good books about applying <laughs> neuroeconomics to customer success or even to the customer experience. I'm actually working on a book like that right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, but but if you're interested in in behavioral economics, there's a lot of good stuff out there on that. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel laureate, has a terrific book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it's it's terrific. He and Amos Tversky actually invented the whole idea of behavioral economics back in the 1970s. Um, one of their colleagues, Richard Thaler, who is another Nobel laureate, has a book called Nudge, and that's also a good read. Um, if people want to look at the, uh, the, the neuroscience, learn more about neuroscience, Antonio Damasio, who is a, a famous neuroscientist, has a terrific book called Descartes' Error. And uh, that's a great uh, exploration. You learn a lot about emotion and how it impacts decision making, which is wonderful. Paul Zak has a, a good book um, uh, about uh, trust, and it's called The Moral Molecule. And what, what he looks at is a compound called oxytocin, which uh, is released by the brain and it actually alters behavior. So uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear about the biochemistry and how that affects you know, people's level of trust in other people. Um, mm -hmm. If you like podcasts, uh, Shankar Vedantam has a, a wonderful podcast called The Hidden Brain. Um, I love that podcast. Yeah. That is one of my favorites. Awesome. It's so fun to listen to. Yeah. yeah. He does an amazing job and they feature him sometimes on NPR, but uh, strongly recommended. It's a wide range of topics in psychology, but there's a lot of useful things that uh, you can d directly apply to customer success. Um, there's another guy by the name of Roger Dooley, and he's written a book called Brainfluence, uh, and he's in the area of neuromarketing. So um, there's a much more in B2C space. Um, they've been looking at this process in neuromarketing, 
Um, uh, we don't see quite as much in the B2B side, but uh, he's got a wonderful blog and he's written this book. Brainfluence actually summarizes a lot of his blogs, um, but that's a good book, a quick read. And then the last one I would recommend, uh, there's a, an author by the name of Patrick Renvoise, and he's written a book called The Persuasion Code, and that's also um, a neuromarketing book. Oh, that one sounds good. I'm going to have to check that out. And then we're going to have to have you back when your book is done <laughs> so that you can talk about that. Because <laughs> I'm sure that will be really good. Um, so we'll, we'll book that in the future. It's a deal. This is the last question. And this is the one we ask all of our guests. So I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you next. But what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Well, you know, I think there's a really interesting debate going on about bots, you know, using AI in the customer experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to be just fascinating to see how that how that comes out. Um, as in my view, I think there's no question that, it, that it's going to lower costs. But, um, you know, and I think it's good for repetitive tasks. You know, if there's something that, that is just a repeat question over and over again, sure, why not? Why not use a bot for that kind of an application? But there's a lot of people out there that seem to think you can uh, eliminate humans from the customer experience and just replace them with, with AI. And I think that's personally a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, humans crave contact with other humans. Uh, you know, the technology is just not quite there yet. So I think it's going to do more harm than good in certain applications. Uh, one thing I think is going to happen through this whole debate is we're, we're actually going to uh, quantify what is the value of human to human contact? Where do you use that? What's the ROI of that? I think that's going to be a fascinating byproduct of all of this. You know, do you where do you trade off the short term savings that you might get from taking someone out of the process versus the long term benefit, the revenue from uh, people being able to interact with other humans? So it's going to be fascinating because I think we're going to quantify all that before too long. I totally agree with you, and um, I'm prepping for a class that I'm going to be teaching on the ROI of customer success. And, and I think it's interesting because yes, it can lower the cost, but if it also lowers the revenue, it doesn't really improve your return on investment at all, which is ultimately what you yeah. want is a bigger return on investment, not a smaller one. So, um, you know, if you're only impacting you know, part of the equation and then the other part is being impacted negatively. <laughs> that doesn't really do much for you. So yeah, I, it, I think it's fascinating. I definitely think the technology is not there yet. Um, but I do see a place for it. I just don't think it's as widespread as people think that right. place is. Exactly. Right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think people are trying to plug it into too many <laughs> places. <laughs> it's going to have to get paired back. Well, Ed, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate you sharing all of your research and ideas with the audience. And audience, I hope you took away some practical tips you guys can use for building your customer relationships. I know I got a lot of great stuff, especially from those resources that Ed listed at the end. Thank you so much for joining us today. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much for the opportunity. If people want to get in touch, uh, by all means, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, go ahead and connect there. Uh, that's probably the best way to get in touch. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn 
or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. Hey!